verses of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Of these 14 verses, verses 3 to verse 14 are one long sentence. So really what you're getting is uh, these next three weeks, each of our preachers are going to preach on a sentence fragment. But you'll understand why when you, see, when you find out how loaded with meaning and with precious truth this passage is. And I will just take time to briefly introduce the letter to the Ephesians. In fact, it may not be a letter that was addressed directly to the Ephesians. Some of the early manuscripts give no indication that there's no to the saints who are in Ephesus in many of those early manuscripts. However, we do know that it is a letter that is intended for the church. It is addressed primarily to Gentile believers uh, throughout the ancient world and by God's providence and by God's foreknowledge and by his predestination. It is designed to be preached to us here in this congregation today. When we see the sovereign intention of God to redeem people corporately a church and people individually for himself it should fill our minds with awe and humility and, and wonder so the letter of Ephesians it is really a letter for a le the letter to the Ephesians is a letter to the church it is, it is a letter to us and I want to uh, just read Paul's introduction here with the understanding that it is more than just an introduction. What we have here is a summary of Christian doctrine. A summary of what it is to be in Christ. Paul starts, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul is a messenger, an apostle, a sent one from Jesus Christ. Now this word apostle, it is used generically. I think I forgot to turn my my big mic, can you all hear me okay? No. <laughs> you want it louder? Yeah. I'll turn off the pulpit mic. Test, test, test. There. Okay. Um, so Paul is an apostle. He is an, a messenger sent from God. Not just a generic messenger, but one specifically chosen by God to be one of those upon whom the, who lay the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the church for all time. It's significant here that he says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He did not choose himself to be an apostle. In fact, he was headed a completely different trajectory. He was persecuting saints. He was rounding them up and putting them in prison because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He stood and watched as his, as his uh, fellow Jews picked up stones and murdered Stephen and they laid their robes at his feet. But God sovereignly intervened. God knocked down his pride. God's glory appeared to him, convicted him of not only persecuting the saints of God, but persecuting Jesus, and graciously and gloriously saved him. The scales of tradition fell from his eyes and he beheld the glory of the risen Christ and he was called and he was sent to be an apostle this phrase by the will of God you'll notice in our text as we continue to read um, as we continue to go through it is it's 
emphasize again and again. Look at verse, uh, hang on here. Yeah. I'll get to that later. I'm preaching from notes this morning, and I'm not scripting, so this is um, a little unusual. I just felt that there was way too much to, to squeeze into pages, so I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to bring this together. Um, anyway, you're going to see this concept, by the will of God, according to, according to His will, according to his, the purpose of His will. It occurs... Uh, four or five times in the text. So this idea of the will of God, the sovereign will of God, in choosing not only apostles, but saints, but Christians. You're going to see this so strongly presented in the rest of our text. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus which, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. When it says to the saints, it means to the called ones, to the called out ones, to the separated ones. We, the church, are God's saints. This word saint in this context is not referring to someone who is perfect intrinsically or who has achieved perfection, um, who has been bestowed this honor of sainthood by some man appointed head of the church. No, this is all who have been called and chosen by God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now this again is not referring to our faithfulness, in other words, our ability and our continued efforts in pursuing godliness, but it primarily refers to our belief, those who believe in the Lord Jesus. So that is a, de defini that is a definition of a saint, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, who are trusting in Christ. This is not those who have trusted in Christ. This is our life. We trust in Christ day to day, moment by moment. And there was that moment when God gave us faith after regenerating our hearts so that we could even receive the message and receive the conviction of sin. Um, that God so graciously provided. But we are faithful in Christ Jesus. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we greet each other with words like, how are you doing? How is it going? How are you? And these greetings very often... They are meant in kind of a meaningless way, and they are received in the meaningless way. Sometimes, uh, perhaps you've had this experience where you've said, how are you? And people actually tell you how they are. They actually listen to your greeting. Well, this is not a throwaway greeting that Paul has given us here. It says, grace to you and peace from our God, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ you're going to see that this whole passage is interlaced and undergirded and filled with grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It is completely unearned. We have seen already grace in that Paul is an apostle by the will of God. This was Nothing in Paul's resume qualified him to be an apostle, to be a saint. But it was God's grace entirely. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the love that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. So this grace is the basis of all of our Christian life. It is a basis of all of our dealings with God. Were it not for grace, were it not for God's riches being poured out upon us, 
at Christ's expense, we would not have peace with God. So these are the bookends of Christianity. It begins with grace. It begins in the heart of God in eternity past. And it culminates in peace with God, not just throughout our lives in this world that is so embattled against God, against man. And even those who reject the grace of God are in, at war with themselves. But this peace, this peace on every level is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There will be no peace. I'm quoting Bob, Bob Dylan now. There will be no peace. And the wars won't cease until he returns. Well, that's see, not yet. There is peace coming, but there is peace now. There is immediate peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this grace comes to us from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father and God the Son are united in bringing us together in His grace. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, without God's anointed one, fully God and fully man, we would have no peace with God. And his grace would not be ministered to us in a saving way. So that is the introduction. We're going to go on now to the, the meat of the passage. I'm forgetting. Did I read the passage yet? I didn't. Okay. Let's read Philippians chapter 1. We've already read, read the introduction. Let's read. We're going to read verses 3 to 14 just because it will give the, the context of where we're going. This is um, a paragraph. It is a unit of thought. It is also, as I said, one sentence in Greek. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You can see why we stop short of even preaching this whole chapter over three weeks. I could preach on verse 3, and it would completely uh, satisfy us and fill us and leave, well, actually it wouldn't. It would leave us longing for more. But we're going to do our best today just to get through verses 1 through 6. We've already done the first two verses. But I have a, an outline that uh, will sort of help keep us on track here. Um, and we can, I, I don't really have a firm title, but I think spiritual blessings in Christ. That is the theme of what we have here. Uh, it is really one long blessing, first of all, of God, and then an account of his blessings coming to us, flowing to us. And as Paul begins 
with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it appears that the Holy Spirit moves him to praise, moves him to worship. And all of the blessings bestowed upon us from God's hand uh, come up before him and he is overwhelmed by him and he can't stop. Reminds me of when children uh, write. They tend to ignore punctuation. They tend to ignore capitals. They just want to get their ideas and their thoughts and they're so excited they write it all down. And it just keeps flowing out. Or when you come home uh, from work and your child begins to tell you about the exciting day that they had. This is Paul. He is excited. He is overwhelmed. He is um, bowed and prostrated in worship as he considers the blessed God and the blessings he bestows. So we're going to look under at this all in terms of blessing and or benefits. The word blessed literally means or is from the word eulogesis, which means from which we get our word eulogy. We think of eulogies as something that as, as what is presented as a as a glowing retelling of a person's life at a funeral. But I've been to enough funerals and I won't attend my own, but those of you who are there will know that if all they say about me or all they say about anyone is good, that they're not really telling the whole truth. In reality, the only one who is worthy of eulogy, which literally means good words, you meaning good, logi or logic, logos meaning words, the only one who is worthy of good words, unqualified worthiness, is God himself. And Paul doesn't begin here by saying, bless the Lord, bless God. He's not, this is not an exhortation to bless God. It is a declaration that God is intrinsically blessed. It's almost as though he's saying blessedness is an attribute of God. When we bless God, we can only use words. This is what we have. We base our words on God's words and God's accounting of himself. And through this, we bless him. We do not bless him by bringing him anything of ourselves. We bless him by telling him who he is. So under this term of blessing, I've just used the term benefit or benefactor. These are, these, are the, these are the points of our outline. First of all, we're going to look at the benefactor of all spiritual blessings. The one who gives, the good giver of all spiritual blessings, which is God the Father. We're going to look at the beneficiaries of all spiritual blessings. That is us. That is the church. That is you, if you are a believer. These blessings that we're going to talk about this morning are for you. They're not only future blessings. They are blessings to be enjoyed right now and to be fulfilled ultimately in the age to come. So the beneficiaries, which are the church, we're going to look at the beloved agent of spiritual blessings. And we find the word beloved um, in the, at the end of verse 6, or the end of verse 6, yes, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is God's name for his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it is because we are in Christ, it is because we are seated with him in heavenly places that all of these benefits come to us. They would not come to us if Christ had not first come to us as a man. As a man who, though being God, could also pray to God 
as his God. Think about that. John 20, he says, I go to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. The fact that Jesus was a man enabled him to be the perfect agent of God's blessing to us, coming to us in redemption, coming to us to give his life a ransom for many. So we're going to look at the beloved agent of all spiritual blessings, which is Jesus Christ. We'll look at the benefits of being in Christ. There are two benefits that I'm going to talk about this morning. There are many more that Rod Floyd and Rod will ex expound in the next two Sundays. But there are two main blessings here, each with a goal. One is the blessing of sovereign election with the goal of perfection. And I'm going to explain that later on, but I believe the text is saying this. And then we're also going to look at predestination with the goal of adoption. Now I'm hoping that there's no one here that is going to immediately uh, break out in hives or run away in fear because I have mentioned the word predestination or have mentioned the concept of election. These are by no means easy concepts. They are mysterious concepts in many ways because they are bound up with God's eternal decree. He chooses, he elects, he predestines for reasons known only to him. This we do know, that he does not choose, that he does not predestine to adoption as a result of anything in us. That also his choosing either for life or for death has nothing to do with our deeds, either good or bad. We are all born in sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That he, that he would save any of us is mercy and grace beyond imagining. And if we have time, I'll skip to the end, to verse 14, and I will also talk about the bond that ensures all spiritual blessings, or the earnest of our inheritance, as the King James Version puts it, or the guarantee of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. All right, let's begin with the benefactor of all spiritual blessings. In other words, the good giver. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, eulogized, exalted, spoken well of, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is good in his essence. We can only say good things about him. If we say that God is anything other than good, we lie. But this word blessed is used three times in this first sentence. It is used in three different parts of speech. Blessed is an adjective. God is blessed. We use this to describe him. But then it says, who has blessed us, who has eulogized us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now that you notice that God does not eulogize us with words eulogizes us with deeds. He sends his word to us in the person of Jesus Christ and he blesses us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the unchanging God, the Father of lights, in the heavenly places, blesses us with all of these spiritual blessings. We must note the sovereignty of God that comes through again and again in this passage. Look at verse um, 8. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Sorry, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. 
Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Again, look at this, do this, according to the counsel of his will. Everything that we read here is purposed by God. Our election is purposed by God. The fact that he chose Christians, saints for himself, that is purposed by God. It is his decree. Um, it is according to his counsel. When we read the word purpose here, it means more than just God's intention. In fact, some translations will use the word pleasure. This is God's joyful choice. God's delight in calling, in saving, in redeeming, in justifying, in glorifying unworthy sinners. This is God's kind intention. It is his delight. We, we sing and we understand that Christ's blood is shed in order to propitiate the wrath of God. That he is angry with the wicked every day. We know this. But his intention toward his beloved, who are only beloved because of his beloved son, his intention toward them is adoption as sons. Children in whom he delights. This is God's desire for you if you are in Christ. This great God who in love predestined us before the foundation of the world. In love. The sovereign God who planned this great plan of salvation is a loving God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We begin worship not by looking at all that God gives. We begin looking at who God is. This loving, holy God. This sovereign God. And understand that we can rejoice in the benefits only because of the benefactor. Now let's look at the beneficiaries of the spiritual blessings in Christ. Verse 3, the second part says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The beneficiaries he's talking about here, in, in, the, in the singular, the beneficiary is the church. In the plural, the beneficiaries are every believer that compose the church of Jesus Christ. These wonderful truths, election, predestination, redemption, revelation, ultimate perfection, sealed by the Spirit until the day of our redemption. All of these gifts are recognized and received only through people who are in Christ. We've already seen the saints are those who believe the faithful in Christ Jesus. But a, a real understanding is that we are in Christ Jesus. He is our head, we are his body. He is our bridegroom, we are his bride. We belong to him, we are of him, we are in him, we are united with him. This is the basis of, of all of these gifts. Ephesians could be summed up under the, under the theme of the glorious church. It is all about the church of Jesus Christ and how 
Christ has equipped his church in order to bring glory to himself. How the church is being built by God as a habitation fit for the Lord in spirit. Think about that. Christ's glory, this, this glory that is reserved for God, envelops and encompasses his church. And these glorious gifts are ours because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the beloved agent of all spiritual blessings, Jesus Christ. In this, in this uh, paragraph, in this sentence, the words in Christ or in whom or in the beloved, there are 11 different uses of this here. Do you think it's important that we understand that we are in Christ? Do you think it's important that you know beyond the shadow of the doubt that you are in Christ? That you are faithful in Him. That you believe in Him. That you rely on Him for everything that is necessary for life and God godliness. That you look to His Word as the infusion of God's truth. That you live in this. That you, that you imbibe it. That you cherish the Word of God in your life. Jesus Christ is the agent. He is the one who brings these spiritual blessings and enables us to receive them, of course, by his work on the cross. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is now exalted at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. But look at our text says that these blessings are ours in heavenly places. In Christ in heavenly places. Now we're not sitting up in heaven right now. But we are the body of Christ. We are united with Him. And as our federal head, having taken the place of Adam, the one in whom we sinned, the one in whom we died, Christ, the one in whom we are made alive, sits at the right hand of the Father, and we are there with him. Philippians says that we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens. I thought of this today, and you can... The, the elders can correct me if I'm entering into heterodoxy here in any way. But every earthly country has an embassy. Uh, President Trump, for example, just established the, embassy, the American embassy in the city of Jerusalem. We have embassies, Canada has embassies all over the world. That embassy is, for all intents and purposes, it is a little country in a foreign country. Can we consider ourselves an embassy of heaven? Can we consider God's church an outpost of heaven where God is worshipped, where thousands upon thousands bow before his throne as the elders do and proclaim worthy is a lamb who is slain. Where the presence of God dwells in his temple, which is being built into a habitation for him. It seems I'm moving back and forth between the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, we need to understand that we are much more closely united with him than we understand. We are his purchased possession. We are his betrothed bride. We are his body. We are his house, his temple. 
We are one with Christ. Thank you. Well, the real heart of this is the blessings, the benefits that we receive in Christ. So let's look now at the benefits of being in Christ. Oh, by the way, these blessings, these blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What we need to understand here is these blessings, they're not something that is recent, something that is future. There's something, these blessings were decided upon, were lovingly intended for us before the foundation of the world. Our names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world, in heavenly places, in Christ. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, all agreeing upon this. The Father, uh, the Son, as did Isaiah saying, Here am I, send me, a body you have prepared for me. We'll look first at election here as the, with the goal of perfection. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Here we have God making a choice. God selecting out people for himself. Now, people will try to say, this is corporate. God chose Israel in the Old Testament as his purchased possession, as his beloved. God chose the church. And these promises of predestination, of adoption and so on, they're to be applied corporately. And to that I say, yes, this is true. There is corporate election. We have God's assurance in Romans chapter 11 that all Israel, incorporating all Gentiles, will be saved. This is the kind intention of His will. Both the, uh, the Old Testament and New Testament saints united in Christ. Another great theme of Ephesians is the uni unity of Jews and Gentiles in Christ, all brought together. Um, so there is this aspect of corporate uh, corporate election but God does not save the church God does not adopt a church he adopts individuals as sons and daughters and this election this choosing even as he chose us in him as I said happens before the foundation of the world listen to the goal of this choosing that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. <laughs> Are you a little bit behind in your sanctification? Are you a little bit lacking in your perfection? If you're going to look honestly at yourself apart from Christ, you have to say, oh yes. Not as though I were already perfect or had already attained but I press toward the mark, the high calling of Jesus Christ. We cannot say that we are perfect, but we can say that it is God's work right now to be perfecting us and to present for Christ to present us to himself as a perfect bride. The last of our sin will not be done away with until we are united with Christ in our resurrected bodies. But that is coming. This is an already and not yet thing. Our perfection, our standing right now, is complete in Christ. The, his robes for mine. Christ's righteousness has cleansed and covers our sinfulness. 
God looks not on our perfection, but on Christ's perfection. The one who lived perfectly without sin, and the one who died not having sinned, but bearing our sin. This is the perfection that we have now, and the perfection, the manifestation of the sons of God, where we will see what we shall be. When our adoption becomes official, when our benevolent Father, having adopted us in a distant land, brings us home to live with Him, that is coming. A couple of other verses that just talk about this election. 1 Thessalonians 3.12-13 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. So, so this idea that God is at work establishing holiness in those whom He has chosen, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't ignore the eschaton, the end of all things, and the world to come, the reign of Christ, the new heaven and new earth. This is where all of this ultimately is fulfilled. Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may abound, may approve what is excellent to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So when, I, when we understand that we are sanctified, that we are saints, this does not come without responsibility. We earn no favor by our goodness. But out of God's goodness and out of His redemption and out of His new work in our hearts, we grow in righteousness. So it says, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is what God is working in us right now, the fruit of righteousness. The evidence that there is life that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory, to the glory and praise of God. All right, so that is election. God's choice and the purpose of our God's choice is to present us perfect and that we would be holy and blameless just as Christ, the Passover lamb, was to be holy and blameless. As we are in Christ, we have died with Christ we are raised with Christ. We live in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. Now let's look at the P word, the dreaded P word, predestination. Some have, I wasn't kidding when I say some people break out in hives at this. John and Charles Wesley resisted against this the idea that God would predestine some for himself but not others it violated their concept of man as a free agent the idea that we may choose on our own based on what we have seen and heard in the gospel that we can freely and willingly choose God the concept of grace is that we who were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1. You who were dead in trespasses and sins have been quickened, have been brought to life by the grace of God. Um, so this predestination with the goal of adoption it says, um, our text, I just got to find where we are here. Yeah, and Rod will um, revisit this concept in, another, in a later message. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. See, predestination 
choosing is simply the mere act of God choosing us for the purpose of holiness and righteousness. Predestination is God laying out a path for us, laying out a plan that arrives at a certain goal. This is something that God foreordains, that he plans in advance. And his plan, his goal, in choosing us before the foundation of the world, when only God existed, was that we would not only be righteous and holy, but that we would be adopted as his sons and daughters. This idea of adoption, we understand it. Uh, our concept of adoption is not unlike what Paul would have had in mind. The idea of being chosen to be the child of a, of a, a parent that is not your natural parent. God elected Israel. God chose Israel. Out of Egypt I have called my son was a reference to Christ, but also a reference to Israel. God called and chose and rescued and saved Israel. He called Israel back in the days of Abraham. Um, so, and Israel is called God's son, and we are called God's sons because Christ is called God's son. And through the work of Christ, because we are in him, because we are united with him in his death, burial, resurrection, in his holy life, and even in his glorification, we can cry in our hearts even now, though we have not yet seen him face to face, we have not yet seen the majestic glory of God, the one upon the throne. Even right now, we can cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8, verses 15 through 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, this is present tense, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A term of intimacy, a term of respect and love and honor, that a child would have for their beloved father. In their eyes, their father can do no wrong. In their eyes, their father can do anything. In their eyes, there is no one who loves them more than their father. And yet, we know because of our earthly fathers that this is an imperfect understanding of who God is. God is the great benefactor. There is no more generous, no more kind, no more loving dad. We have a dim comparison, a dim foreshadow of this, perhaps, in our own fathers. So, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8 and verse 15, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So Paul explicitly says here, and the Holy Spirit says through him, that we are predestined for adoption. We are predestined. It is planned that we would be God's sons and daughters, that we would call him father. Now, there is, again, we have to look at all of life as Christians in terms of already and not yet. The already is that we now cry, the Spirit of God is in us right now. In verses 13, 14, we see that the Spirit is the earnest or the guarantee of our inheritance that we will receive in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is active right now. And part of this guarantee is the Spirit in us, crying out through us, Abba, Father. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How do we know we, we are in Christ? One way is the spirit in us bears witness that we are the children of God. 
we don't read this directly in Ephesians, but we do re we do understand that the Spirit is the bond or the guarantee of our inheritance. I forgot to mention that verse 3 here, where it talks about who has blessed us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. By spiritual blessing, that doesn't simply mean immaterial things. Spiritual blessing refers to the life in the Spirit that Romans chapter 8 expounds to us. The idea that the Spirit cries out in us, Abba, Father. That the idea that the Spirit itself bears witness with us that we are the children of God. These are part of the spiritual blessings in Christ. That assurance that we have. Now, there's, this is the already. We cry out now, Abba, Father. We cry, Daddy, and we mean it. We cry, we, we look to Him as our benevolent Father. And we mean it. It's true. It's true if we are in Him. But listen to this. There is a not yet aspect to adoption. There's a future adoption. Romans 8, verses 23 to 25, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Another verse in Romans chapter 8 talks about the manifestation of the sons of God. Right now it's still a bit of a mystery who are the sons and who are not. This, the elect, ultimately is the God, it is the Lord who knows they are His. There are some who are deceived now who think that they are elect of God, but there's going to be this great revealing of the sons of God, this great adoption ceremony at the resurrection of our bodies when God's children are revealed, when God's children are separated from those who are not God's children. Um, so this is coming. We wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in Romans chapter 8, and I'm using it as a bit of a commentary on this concept of adoption there is this keen sense of hoping for what we do not yet see and yet embracing the reality of that which we do not see right now there is the already and not yet So, we've seen that God the Father is the benefactor of all spiritual blessings. We have seen that we as His church, as His redeemed ones, Floyd will talk extensively about redemption next week, but we've alluded to it in the fact that Christ has purchased us with His own blood. And we who believe, we are the beneficiaries of all of these spiritual blessings. This is not an exhaustive list. I've talked about two blessings and two results. There are more to come in this passage. But Jesus Christ is the beloved agent of these spiritual blessings. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us, God the Father has blessed us in the beloved, in His Son Jesus. We've seen the benefits, election. God chose us with the goal to perfect us, with the goal that we would be like him, and with the present reality right now that our righteousness is not our own, that it is the righteousness of Christ. We've also seen that God has predestined. He has laid out our steps before us with the goal of adoption. That is going to be one great meeting. That is going to be one great coming out party, as it were, at the end of the age, when God's sons, God's daughters are revealed.
as I, oh, now I'm just going to tack in on the end here. That's kind of the end of the message. But um, the this Holy Spirit is not mentioned explicitly other than through his work in the first verse there, in verse 3, with every spiritual blessing. But he is mentioned explicitly at the end of this chapter. Uh, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the already. The Holy Spirit is at work in us right now. And he is the guarantee. He is the bond. You can cash this in that you are secure in Christ if the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The heart of this message for me, the part of it that had me in, in tears and in awe and basically uh, paralyzed in wonder, was this idea that God chose me in him before the foundation of the world. People who reject the doctrines of grace will look at that and say, how arrogant, how arrogant that you could think that God would choose you. Folks, there's nothing arrogant about it. If it is grace, there is no arrogance about it. Jesus made us alive because we were dead in trespasses and sins, children of wrath, haters of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The fact that God would choose some, that he would choose me, out of all of those, before the foundation of the world, that he, looking down, through all of history, saw me, saw you if you are in Christ, saw you in your sin, knowing, knowing of your sins, knowing of your failings, knowing of your backslidings. He saw you and he chose you and he redeemed you out of the good favor of his will, out of the kind intention of his heart. Now you will say, well, that's not fair. God has obviously not chosen everyone. And this is true. God has chosen some. The salvation that he has predestined is something that does not apply to everyone or we would not be preaching the gospel. And some would say, well, why even preach? Why preach? If God already knows those that are his, if God already is working toward their adoption, it is because God has ordained the preaching of the word as his instrument of regenerating hearts, bringing them to faith, bringing them to believe. God is not unjust. If we think this is God is unjust, we are processing God's justice through a blurred and tarnished lens of our own justice, which is a reflection of God's justice, but is marred by sin. We don't know why God chooses some and not others. We do know that he is just. We do know that he is good. And this does not impede the preaching of the gospel. We preach the gospel, Mark says, to every creature. We preach the gospel to, to use uh, a word that has another meaning. We preach the gospel promiscuously. We have no discretion. We cast the net broad and we leave it to God to call whom he wills. And if people reject him, it is because of their own sin, which is theirs, which they own. If people receive, it is because of mercy of God. We do not know the extent of God's elect. Only he knows that. And he will be just in saving 
those whom he has died for, whom those who are written already in the Lamb's Book of Life. A little quote from Arthur Pink um, spoke to my heart, and I, I'm going to close with this. He says, the apprehension of God's infinite knowledge should fill the Christian with adoration. The whole of my life stood open to his view from the beginning. He foresaw my every fall, my every sin, my every backsliding, and yet, nevertheless, he fixed his heart upon me. Oh, how this realization should bow me in wonder and worship before him. Father, at once we feel we feel small, we feel 